Well, we're kicking off a new series uh, this morning called Boot Camp, and we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to live a Christ-like life. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of Scripture together. Uh, it'll be from the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi called Philippians in the New Testament. It'll be on the screen. Uh, I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along. This is what <clears throat> Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this, and he's just talked about being like Christ, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And then from Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says this, My dear children, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, we're going to spend several weeks looking at and learning how to live a Christ-like life. Now, I want to make a suggestion to you, uh, and the suggestion is this is that a Christ-like life is your best life. I'll say it to you again. A Christ-like life is your best life. You've got to answer the question at some point, uh, what's a better life for you? Uh, what's that going to take? Uh, does that mean more money? Are you healthier than you are right now if you have a better life? Are you... Uh, free of some of the conflict that you have in your, li- in your life? Are you less lonely than you are? If you were to get all of those things in a big giant bundle delivered to your door, would that somehow make a better life for you? Uh, now, I, I suspect that you are like me, and uh, I tend to want to look at my life from a kind of a Band-Aid perspective. I don't, I don't want to deal with the real issues. I'd rather just kind of deal with the symptom and Band-Aid it and and move on. And so often, uh, we don't dig at the real issues. One of, the, uh, one of my mentors uh, in, in leadership was uh, uh, a guy who taught me. He said, listen, in, in leadership, the issue is rarely the issue. Uh, what people will bring to you is this, but what, what's really going on is, you, is down here underneath the surface, and you've got to help people learn what's underneath the surface, driving the thing that's the issue. And I would suggest to you that in life, it's that way too. The issues that you think, if I, if I just had this fixed and that was better and this was, this was more, then I'd have a better life. I want to suggest that it's several layers down. I love the quote by Jim Carrey where he said, I wish everybody could have all the money and all the fame that they wanted and then they would find out that it's not the answer. <laughs> We're kind of on the superficial side. So let me say it to you again. I, I, I think your, a Christ-like life is your best Life. Now notice what I, I'm not saying there. I'm not saying a Christ-like life is the means to you having a better life. I'm not saying that you use uh, following Jesus or spirituality as some kind of tool so you can get the life that you're in charge of and that you decide how it works. I'm not, not saying that. I'm saying you living a Christ-like life in your everyday life, that is your best life. Now, when we talk about being Christ-like, what we mean is uh, following, following uh, Jesus specifically. 
And when we think about following someone, I'm not entirely sure that we have the right picture in our minds because today when you follow someone, you follow someone on social media. Uh, there was a campaign, wildly successful, uh, I think it's 20 or 30 years old now, uh, Be Like Mike. And you can still buy shirts that say Be Like Mike. And uh, the idea was that if you drank Gatorade, you somehow would be able to dunk from the free throw line. I don't, I don't know how that worked, but apparently that's what we thought. That was what was sold to us. And, and, uh, but that's the kind of superficial thing that we think about when we think about being like somebody. Like, I'm going to drink what they drink. Uh, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear what they wear. And that somehow is going to change my life. So when we talk about following someone, especially on social media, what we mean is, you know, I'm going to keep up with them. I'm going to kind of keep up with what's going on with their life and, you know, where they went on vacation and what they had to eat and pictures of their kids or whoever they're dating. Uh, And we kind of see their life then as entertainment for our life. We're kind of watching like, ha, 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 I'm glad that didn't happen to me, sucker. You know, (laughs) we're kind of like that. And and we might see their values like a political statement and we might grimace or we might agree with their values. For us, that's today, that's what it means to follow somebody. It's just kind of like that. What I'm talking about, instead of being like Mike, is that you would be like Christ, that you would follow Jesus. And that's a whole different order of things. So instead of keeping up with Jesus' life, now what's Jesus doing? Oh, Jesus is cool. That's great. You're going to give up your life for Jesus. And instead of seeing Jesus' life as kind of entertainment, like, wow, Jesus did that. That was cool. That was awesome. You're going to instead see Jesus' life as an example that you imitate. And then instead of just, you know, maybe grimacing at values, what you're going to do when you follow Jesus is you're going to replace your values whenever they're at odds with his values. You see what I'm saying? Kind of ask everything of you. Because a Christ-like life is your best life. Now, if we don't believe that, at least in this room with these people who we, most of us say that we're Christians, if we don't believe that, then I'm really not sure that we're Christians. Because you might hear that and go, well, that's kind of narrow and that's kind of exclusive. Yeah, but this is how we operate in all of life. You have a team that you love, and you think that team is better than every other team, right? We're okay with that in sports, but somehow we're not okay with that in life. Now, I, I hate to bring this up. It's a point of tension, attention between me and you, and I know this makes some of you mad. I get it. It's this time of year, but I'm a Cardinals fan, <laughs> right? And I'm trying to be like Christ, so I'm not going to point out how many more championships they've won than the Cubs. Not going to do that today, okay? Not going to go there. I'm not even going to say it. But it's kind of like that because even in the middle of enemy territory, you still pull for your team and think that your team is the best. Uh, if, if you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to say, man, a Christ-like life, that's the best version of my life. That's the one I've got to say. That's better than any other version of life that I could have. Uh, even the phrase when we say someone's a Christian, that's such a watered-down word. I don't know if you know where we even got the, that word But the very first followers of Jesus, the way they named themselves is they said they were followers of the way. Probably got this from John in his gospel when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus marked out a way to live. And so they all kind of got together like, hey, let's call ourselves the way. I think that sounds cool. You like that? Yeah, I like that too. Let's call ourselves the way. And so everywhere they went, they would say, well, we're followers of the way. Well, in Antioch, ancient Antioch, one of the the, uh, large cities in the Roman Empire, one of the most influential cities It was a a melting pot, people from all cultures and backgrounds and classes and education levels. And they all hated each other because they were so divided politically and on every front. And there were some people, some some followers of the way in that town. 
and they lived out the life of Jesus. They lived a Christ-like existence, and they were able to bring people together in the middle of all that divisiveness in a way that the people who were looking at them and didn't like them, they, they, they taunted them, and they say, oh, they think they're little Christs. They're like christ They're Christians. That's where we get the word Christian. So when you are following Jesus, you are intending to live a life where you're like a little Christ. So what we're going to do for several weeks is we're going to examine what Jesus did. I actually spent uh, some time this last week. I went through the Gospel of Matthew, and I just wrote down everything that Jesus did his practices, how he spent his time, who he spent his time with. And uh, we're going to kind of have a boot camp. Uh, There's not going to be any push-ups. There's not going to be any calisthenics. But if you were to go to the YMCA tomorrow at 5 o'clock and be a part of the the boot camp there, it would be a a jump start for you to a new way of life. If you were to go into the military and you were to go to boot camp, at that boot camp, they would indoctrinate you in a new way of looking at things and doing things and say, I don't care where you came from, but this is how we do things right here. And so we're going to kind of have a, a spiritual boot camp, and we're going to learn in a very practical way over the next several weeks, this is kind of an introduction to all of that, how Jesus went about living his life, and then we're going to do our best to imitate his life because we want to live a Christ-like life because we think that's the best version of ourselves. Now, if you were to look at, okay, well, where, where do I get examples of uh, what, what Christ was like, what he did? Uh, you would go to the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the biographies of Jesus' life from the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his, four of his disciples. And they, some of their stories overlap, and they tell some of the same stories. Some of them tell different stories, but they give us insight into the life of Jesus and what he was like. And if you were to go and you were to get some of the teaching that Jesus gave, kind of the core of his teaching, you would go to the Sermon on the Mount, we call it, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus there lays out his basic message, and then you see him on the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, him living out what he taught. Now, I got to tell you, I got to make a confession. Anybody who ever stands up like this, like I'm doing right now, and preaches, they are not always living everything that they say simply because they're a human being. So I stand up, and I'm required by the text to teach you things that I'm trying myself. And I'm like, this is what God wants, and I'm trying it too. Jesus, so there's a gap between any human being you hear preach and and the life of Jesus, but Jesus didn't have the gap. He taught it, and then he actually lived it. And so you could... could, uh, list a whole bunch of things that are Christ-like actions and behavior, but I'm going to give you four actions that we would call Christ-like, and then over the next several weeks, we're going to learn how to actually do these things. And so if you were reading the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you would find out that Jesus said some really radical things. One of the things he said was, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He loved his enemies. So here's, here's what I want you to do. If you're going to live a Christ-like life, you're going to put that in practice. What I want you to do is I want you to go tomorrow to work, walk right up to the person who is your greatest enemy that you work with. I want you to give him a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and say, I did it in Jesus' name. Come on. No, like, no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? They're going to punch you, and it's not going to go well. Don't do that. But you could go to work tomorrow, right? And you could walk in and be like, that jerk. But you could walk in and you could go, okay, God, that's my enemy. 
I need your help today to actually love them. If we had enemies that were across the ocean somewhere, as Christian people, uh, what, would be the, what would be the thing that we would do for them? <laughs> Jesus said that we're to love our enemies. Listen, everybody does what the mob does. The mob loves the people who love them. I'm like the mob. I love anybody that loves me, and so are you. You didn't know you had anything in common with the mob, but you do. You love the people that love you. But Jesus said, don't just love the people who love you. Love the people who are your enemy. Uh, in fleshing this out a little bit, Jesus said, listen, you got to learn to bless the people who curse you. Now, you apply that one thing to your life. It will change your existence. And do you know, it would probably change most of us uh, how we drive, right? <laughs> <laughs> But if you were the kind of person when someone cursed at you in, in, in an outright way or, or in a subtle way or in a passive-aggressive way, and your response was not to be like, oh, yeah, but to come back at them with blessing. And then Jesus gives the example, right, when he dies on a cross. Do you, do you, under, you understand what he's doing right there, right? He's dying on a cross for his enemy, saying, I would rather die for my enemy than kill them. Do you understand that? I mean, he gives the example with his life. Uh, another thing that Jesus says, uh, and we're going to look at this over the course of these weeks. When Jesus is being tempted, it's recorded in Matthew uh, 3 and 4. Uh, Jesus says, when he's being tempted, he says, A Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and as I read through the description of Jesus' life this week, the things that Jesus did over and over and over again, he quoted scripture. He would talk about the context of the scripture when someone would say, well, the Bible says this. He would say, well, no, the context actually means this, and the heart of it is actually this. Now, you've got to understand that we have a Bible, you know, and it, this is my mom's Bible that I preach out of uh, that she uh, left for me. And, and we have Bibles like this, or we have a Bible on our phone that we can scroll. Like, ooh, there it is. The, you understand, the Bible in Jesus' day was on a scroll, Right? It was two scrolls, and you have to roll it out and read it. And Jesus had it memorized. That was one of his practices. And so when he was tempted, do you know what he would do? He would quote scripture. And when he didn't know, when he, when he would try and point people in the right direction, what he would do is he would quote scripture. It was the thing that shaped how he saw the people around him and his approach to life. And that's a Christ-like life. Uh, here's, here's the third thing. Uh, Jesus was oriented toward other people and their needs. Again and again, Jesus would go somewhere and people would come to him with their needs and their hurts and their pains and he would spend time with them and he, he would heal them. Multiple times there was some crisis that happened and Jesus would try to withdraw and get away and, and that was one of his practices. He would regularly withdraw away from the crowds and, and be alone and pray. And uh, many times that would happen and, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm limit, I have limits. I remember this la a year ago, this summer, there, there was, I think, I don't know, seven or eight or nine funerals, like right in a row, boom, 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 boom. And that's a really emotionally, for me at least, an exhausting kind of a, a, a thing to go through that many. And by the end, I was just, my goose was cooked. I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And if someone had come to me and I'd been like, listen, you just go over there, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Jesus got in that kind of level of emotional drainage and when people came to him with their needs 
the gospel writers say that he had compassion on them. And he healed them. Because his life was oriented toward people and their needs. And, and the vulnerable were always safe with Jesus. The, the most vulnerable in his day were, were women and children. Uh, if you were a child, you were property. If you were a woman, you were property. And at one case, some little children came to Jesus, and the disciples had the frame of mind that everybody around them did, and like, those kids are a nuisance. Get those kids away from Jesus. Get them out of here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let those little ones come to me because my kingdom is made up of people like them. And the vulnerable were always safe with Jesus. He allowed himself to be interrupted. Because that's what a Christ-like life is like. When I was getting my uh, degree for uh, studying in theology and studying, preparing to be a pastor, in one of the classrooms uh, there was this poster on the wall and it was a quote by a guy by the name of Toyohika Kagawa. Great name if you're looking for a baby name. <laughs> He's a Japanese Christian, made a massive difference for Christ in Japan, and it's, it's stuck with me for 20-some years now. He said this, he said, I, I read in a book about a man named Christ who went about doing good. It is very disconcerting to me that I am so easily satisfied with just going about. Oh, man. Jesus was oriented toward other people and their needs. And then this is, this is the fourth thing uh, that we'll look at today, at least, is Jesus was incredibly bold. He wouldn't take anything from anybody. He wouldn't take anything from the religious leaders. He wouldn't take anything from the political leaders. He would sometimes tell off his disciples when he thought someone didn't have faith, and, but they wanted him. He would heal them, but he'd go, you have little faith. Uh, Jesus was not in any way a politically correct person. I think, honestly, if we were watching the interaction with Jesus, we'd, we'd kind of go, Jesus is kind of rude. And he was politically incorrect, and he spoke truth to power. And, and the reason he was bold is because he was not in any way driven by the need of having people approve of him. N not in any way. You understand that some people can be politically incorrect, and the reason they're doing that is they want the approval of their tribe. You get that, right? And people, by the other token, can be politically correct, and they're doing that to get the approval of their tribe. Jesus is not driven by anyone's approval at all in any way, and it made him incredibly bold. How many of you would like to have that kind of thing deep in your soul? Yeah? A Christ-like life is your best life. Now, you're probably saying, because uh, I hear a list like this, uh, you might be saying, I cannot do that. I mean, tap out, I'm done. I can't live a Christ-like life. Well, you need to hear what Jesus thinks about you, how much he believes in you, and how much he believes you can do and accomplish in your life. And this is how John records it. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do, what's the word in, in yellow say? Read it out loud with me. Even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Like, that's why Paul says in this passage, he says, hey, listen, I'm pressing toward the goal. I'm straining toward the goal. That word press there means, I mean, you're giving it everything that you've got and you're holding nothing back and you're pursuing it and you're going after it. And then, then he uses the word, and I strain toward it, the, the images of someone at the end of a race and they're just reaching out to try and beat the person right after them. Just giving it absolutely everything. And he said, that's why I'm in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. He's like, I'm gonna do everything that I'm gonna give everything in me to become like Christ and follow him and live a Christ-like life, because that's my best life. That's my best life. Now, maybe you didn't know, but the Bible actually has a self-diagnosis test 
for Christ's likeness. Maybe you didn't know this. In the letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Christians in Galatia, which is called Galatians, he, he records this list, and he says this. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of God's Spirit living in you, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So that means if you live a Christ-like life, if you're a Christ-like li- a person, you are a person who is full of love. When people are around you, they feel loved. If you're a Christ-like person, you have joy. There's a, a sense of, uh, I'd say it's more than happiness, but a sense that everything's going to be okay, and you kind of radiate a joy that people go, How did, how's that person like that? If you're living a Christ-like life, you have peace. People say, how do you have peace? You're, you're a patient person. You put up with a lot. You're kind. You're good. If you're a Christ-like person, people say about you, man, she is good. He is good. And then you're a faithful person. That means you can be counted on. That's why if a Christ-like person goes to work. When they go to work, they give it everything that they've got, and they don't slack off, and they don't cut corners, and they do what more than is required of them. And I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but that's why often if you're a Christ-like person, you get promotions and you get accolades. Why? Because you're just a faithful person. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a promise, but it's very often the case for someone who's Christ-like when they go to work. They get promoted. They, they do better because they're faithful. If you're a Christ-like person, you're gentle. And you have a, a sense of self-control. Now, now listen, before you say, well, I'm not that, those things at all, I, I need you to think about this in a different way. This is actually a picture of your future if you follow Jesus. How would you like to have these things in increasing measure in your life? This is the promise of God's spirit in you as you begin to follow Jesus. And you say, I'm going to live a Christ-like life. You become someone like this. This is your future. This, is a, this should give you hope. And you should say, amen right here because that's good. Right? But it's just me. I'm just excited. That's fine. You don't have to be. Uh, when you meet someone like this that has all of these qualities, man, this is a good person. This is a, this is a magnetic person. Listen, a Christ-like life is your best life. It's the best version of you. Now, how do you start a Christ-like life? How does that begin? I would argue that there's a starting point. You don't ooze into it. Uh, There's a beginning point. And and when you start this journey, and Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he gives this big, long list in Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of of all this jacked-up version of reality. This big, long list of all these different kinds of people. and, And that was you. He says, that was you. You were messed up and then verse 11 and that is what some of you were then he says but you were washed and then he uses these big words you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the son of god in other words what he's saying is there was a before version of you and then there's an after version of you there's before you met jesus and then there is after you met jesus before you were all jacked up and you came from a family that was messed up and there are all kinds of hurt and baggage and pain. But that was before. Before, then you were washed. You met Jesus. And then there's an after. There's a different, a different, a different version of you. I asked permission uh, to tell this story. Um, but a while ago, I did a funeral um, for uh, the father of a, a real lifer. And when I do a funeral, I go and I sit down with the family. And especially if I don't know the, didn't know the person. And I just say, hey, just tell me about them. And I have a set of questions that I ask, and, and um, 
And his son said, you know, um, about 10 or so, and I'd, I'd met, met the dad, and um, he was a very sweet man, very gentle man. And he said about 10 years ago, my dad had a stroke. And if you'd known my dad before that stroke, he was one of the meanest, baddest dudes you've ever met. Like You wanted him in a fight. I mean, he would just take you out. He, he was so mean. He loved me, and he loved my mom. But beyond that, man, he was just mean. And then he had this stroke, and it's like it changed his personality completely, and he would cry at the drop of a hat. And he said, my dad really didn't have a relationship with God, but he would ask me. He would say, well, why did God do this to me? And he would say, well, maybe, maybe God did that to you because of the person you were before, and he wanted you to be a better version of yourself. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to go have a physical stroke, but I am saying that we all need to have a spiritual stroke where there is a moment that we, there's the before us, however jacked up it was, whatever our past was, whatever we came from, whatever family we grew out of, whatever, whatever influenced us to be who we were, that's who we were. <laughs> but then you meet Jesus. And it's like a spiritual stroke, and you're a different person on the other side. So he uses these two kind of $10 words, justified and sanctified. And, and the word justified um, is, uh, is, is a word, think about like when you're writing a, a document maybe in, in a computer program and you justify the margins and everything lines up, right? Where it was a, kind of a mess before, everything makes sense, it's all straight. I've heard someone say it like this, to be justified means God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. God knows where we came from and the family we came from and our past and all the junk and how jacked up we were. God knows that, but he looks at us now just as if I'd never sinned. So Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the door. You want the door to a new life? Me, I'm it. And so when God justifies us, when he looks at us as just as if we'd never sinned and treats us that way, that way, it's what God does in me. It's when God invites me in and God makes a seat at the table for me and he welcomes me home and he includes me and he saves me, and he makes me a different person. He justifies me and says, you're right. It was all screwed up before, but I lined it all up. It all makes sense now. you got a different future. That would be a place you could say amen, but that's okay. You don't have to say amen, right? But here, listen, that's only one part. Dallas Willard says it this way. The people who just say, you know, I just want to be justified, but then I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. He says, he calls them vampire Christians, right? I would just like a little bit of the blood of Christ to do, deal with my past, but I'm going to live my life the way I want. And if, and if that's all you're doing, it's just, well, God loves me, and I don't have to do anything different, and nothing has to change in my life. You're only living one part of Christian existence, and you're missing the second half. That's just as good as the first. <laughs> so Paul uses this other word, and he says that you're sanctified. Uh, that's a word that means to make holy, to make different, to make better. And this is how he writes it to the Thessalonians. He says, as for other matters, listen, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. When you begin to follow Jesus, your life changes. It's not no longer to please yourself. You say, how do I live in order to please God? Uh, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You ready? This is what he says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So justification, justified is what what God does in me. It's how he sees me. It's how he treats me. I'm his child. I'm his son. He loves me. I belong. I matter. I'm in. 
And then God gets to work on the inside of me and makes me into a different person with a different set of values. As I submit myself to him, I exchange my values, whatever they were, on whatever subject for Jesus' values. And if you're not doing both of those things, if you're not letting God also sanctify you and change you and change how you see things and change how you see people, then you are living half of a Christian life. It would be like trying to live with half of a body. If you, what are you going to do? You pick the right side or the left side? <laughs> you got to live the whole thing. And so we're going to spend some time over the next several weeks in a very practical, orderly way learning how to do that. And I'm going to give you some resources uh, to do that. Now here, here, uh, here I, got a, I, got a, I got a sales pitch for 1995. Uh, not really. Um, one of, the, one of the, the things that will change your life are the people that you meet. Meet Jesus, he will change your life. Meet some other Christians who are following Jesus and they're serious about it. Get around them, let them influence you. It'll change your life. And then read books. You are who you are based on the people that you meet and the things that you read. Now, maybe you're not a reader. You're like, I don't read. I, don't. I just want to, I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm a big reader. I read all the time. Um, these are some books that have helped me probably more than anything in my walk with Jesus to understand some things, put some pieces together that I just couldn't put, put together. And uh, we have a table back there. We actually, uh, I think we only had a few. We, picked, we sold them all. If you get my email I sent on Saturday night, the links are to them in, the, uh, in that email down at the bottom. But these are these books. There's one is called Celebration of Discipline, which sounds overwhelming, but it's a guy named Richard Foster. And uh, this book... Um, is, has been considered by many people one of the top books written in the last hundred years for a follower of Jesus to read. Changed my life. Can't recommend it enough. Invitation to a Journey by a guy named Robert Mulholland. Uh, this book, he helps you understand why you do the things you do. You're so confused. Why do I do that? Why do I always tend to do this? Why do I always respond? Helps you understand that. Um, the Life You've Always Wanted by a, a guy named John Ortberg. He's a pastor in California. He writes in a very simple way, like, your Christ-like life's your best life. That's kind of the, his operating uh, principle that he works with in this book. And you can have the life you've always wanted, which he says is to follow Jesus. You didn't know you wanted that, but th- it's this. Fantastic. And then we're going to spend some time talking about this guy. His name's Brother Lawrence. He was a cook in a kitchen in a monastery in the 1500s. He didn't write anything. He didn't travel anywhere. He didn't speak any. But he lived such a Christ-like life in the kitchen that people said, how do I become like Brother Lawrence? And he said, I just practice the presence of God. And we're going to learn how to do that. Um, and this is kind of the, the story of, of that. And you can, um, there, I think these are the last copies. Someone bought one of these. So if you tackle me afterwards, you can get one of these and, and get them, right? Um, so I want you to read. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. And then this, right back on that table, is we're calling it the 35-day heart boot camp challenge. You've ever done one of those things where you put it on the fridge and then you put X's through each day? So what I want you to do is get one of these. And you can get them at the table, at the boot camp basics table out in the lobby. Put it on your fridge every day, check it off. And each Sunday we'll go through what you're going to do. And so this week all it is is you're going to get scripture every day. And you're going to read scripture every day. And you can download uh, a free app that we have. It's called RLCC Life. It's the Grow app. I think we got a picture over there. It looks like that thing right there. If you search for RLCC Life, uh, it'll be on Facebook later today. The link's for all this as well. Once you open that app, you go to My Tracks and you select the 35-day Heart Boot Camp Challenge track. And then you can go over, these are four different screens you'll see. And then you can select a delivery time. And you can choose it at 5 a.m., noon, whatever you want. And you'll get a scripture sent right to you that will help guide you. And then 
then we'll do this, we'll do this together. Okay? Anybody game for a boot camp challenge? Yeah? Okay. All right. And then here's the last thing that I, I want you to do is I do not want you to try and do this alone. How many of you have ever tried to do a diet alone? <laughs> and, and nobody knows you're trying to do it because you don't want to look dumb. <laughs> you don't want to tell anybody, I've done it. Uh, I've done it. You know what happens when I do that? I go to the grocery store and I'm standing in line and they've got those impulse donuts right there at the counter. And I'm like, oh, I don't eat the donut. You don't need the donut. And I have this little internal dialogue with myself, but it's okay. I look at the calories. It's only 280 calories. You can eat the donut. It's okay to eat the donut. Okay, let's eat the donut. And I eat the donut, right? <laughs> if you don't have someone who's with you on the journey, you usually don't make the journey. Following Jesus is not, a, is not a solo adventure. It's something we do together. It's something we do as friends, as we do as, as community. So here's what you could do. You could take this 35-day boot camp challenge, and you could find one other person. You could find three other people, and you could just say, hey, I want to do this thing, and let's help each other for this 35 days. And you find a time once a week, maybe it's breakfast on Saturday at Tate's, maybe it's at your house for dinner on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock. I don't know, whatever works for everybody's schedule. Maybe you, maybe you uh, use FaceTime or whatever the version is on an Android phone where you can phone each other in at a certain time every night. And you, you're not, you don't have to teach anybody anything, you don't have to explain anything to anybody, you just say, hey, I'm doing this, here's what I did, how's that working for you? And then when you're done going around the circle asking each other those questions, you pray for each other. Guess what you have? You then have some partners, and you're not alone. <laughs> and you find out, oh, it is hard. Oh, okay, well, what would you do? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I can do that. And you begin to grow. So this is an introduction, but here's what, here's what you got to decide, okay? You have to decide if you actually want to do this with your life. Nobody accidentally becomes a Christ-like person. It doesn't happen. It's not like you wake up one day, I didn't know how I became so loving. I just am. I'm amazing. You know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you intend to do it or you don't do it at all. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to count the cost. If you're going to build a building, you sit down and you go, do I have enough money to build the building? So count the cost. This, this costs you your life. But I'm telling you, it's your best life. It just costs you your life. You're giving your life for something. But you can give your life to the God who made you and who will teach you how to live your life in a different kind of a way. And you'll be a different person a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, when you've changed the trajectory of your family history. Do you see what's at stake here? Do you get it? So I want you to count the cost, but I want you to walk out of here saying, man, I, with everything in me, I'm going to press and I'm going to strain toward the goal that God has called me toward, which is to live a Christ-like life. And we're going to help you, okay? Not alone. We're going to get you there. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to give a blessing, and then we're going to go. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my friends here today. We come from so many backgrounds. Some of us come from settings where we are, we feel so trapped by what we came from. We feel so defined by 
what was handed on to us. We just feel like we, don't, we aren't enough and we don't have the tools and we don't know what to do. Thank you that you came into the world where all of us feel that. You came into our world where we were messed up and you, you came to our world and you lived the life we needed to live and you died the death that we should have died and you did it for us so we'd be in, so we'd be justified. And then you came to make us different people to help us to live a Christ-like life. And we want that. We want that with everything in us. We don't know how we're going to do it. We don't always get it, but we want it. And so for uh, thousands of years now, you've been helping people by your spirit. And so we want to tap into that. We want to tap into that. And all of God's people who wanted to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all those people said, Amen. We're going to leave you with a blessing, and you'll see people holding out their hands. It's their way of receiving it. Receive this blessing as you go. May you know the God who made you and loves you. Loved you so much that he welcomed you in when you were a mess. Loved you enough to stay with you and help you change and be better. And gives you the power to live a Christ-like life. You're sent now to love God, love people, serve the world in his name. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer. See you next week.